Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 71. I told you on Friday there are certain series you look at in Major League Baseball and you just think, this has sweep written all over it. I was right. I was just wrong about the team doing the sweeping. In the NBA, the Nuggets and Heat Game 5. We've got two tickets set to cash with a Nuggets win tonight as they try to bring their first title home to Denver. A little Packer coaching get-together in Sheboygan over the weekend that we'll talk about. Aaron Rodgers popping up at the Tonys. And an all-time putt to win a golf tournament at the Canadian Open. Nick Taylor, what a story. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! We're going to smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's incomplete, and there is your Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down! Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions! They have done it! It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions! Yeah, we've got to start before we hop into the depressing news that is the Milwaukee Brewers. We've got to start with the Canadian Open. I don't know who was watching that. I know a lot of golf fans are more casual. Not everybody's watching every tournament every weekend. I'm more of a major championship guy. I'll watch all of those basically all the way through. There are some, the Players' Championship. There are other tournaments I do pay attention to, but I'm not in it every weekend with whatever's going on. But we had it on at the house at the end of the weekend last night. It was the fourth playoff hole at the Canadian Open between Nick Taylor and Tommy Fleetwood. And Nick Taylor, who had a horrible drive to start that hole and looked like he was in a bad spot, he ends up with a 72-foot putt. What is that in the metrics system? What is that that in centimeters? He had a 72-foot putt. Where he was so far away, you're just thinking as a viewer or even as a golfer, just get it close and get to a point where I can two-putt this. He puts it in from 72 feet, and it's a walk-off winner. And the cherry on top is that Nick Taylor is Canadian. He's a native, and that's why the crowd goes absolutely berserk, not just for how insanely long the putt was, and it was a walk-off putt, but then you add into it, he's one of the native sons. Here is how it sounded. It was a good call by Nance, too. 72 feet. Good pace. Are you serious? Oh, Unreal. my goodness. Glorious and free. A crowd is going bananas. And then his buddy, here Nance will talk about it, his buddy gets tattooed by a security guard here as people are rushing the 18th hole to celebrate. So here they come rushing out. Champagne. We're storming the 18th green now. 
And his buddy just gets They leveled. just tackled Adam Hadwin, by the way, who was trying to <laughs> approach his friend. Security did, not knowing that's exactly who it was. So it's Adam Hadwin is the guy's name. He's another golfer and fellow Canadian. And because of the moment of how long that putt was, and it's a native son winning the Canadian Open, he runs out there with a bottle of champagne and one security guard, which you can't really fault him for, but one security guard has no idea who Adam Hadwin is. I don't know what I would have known who Adam Hadwin is. And he runs around Nick Taylor celebrating with his caddy and just Goldberg spears this guy. The only thing missing from that call was Jim Ross. Jim Ross somehow needs to be able to teleport into these different situations where he can give you one of these. what we needed in between the silky smooth delivery of Jim Nance of the winning putt and what was all happening in the chaos after we needed just a little three or four seconds of Jim Ross in there because that security guard lit up Adam Hadwin and Hadwin to his credit tweeted afterwards put it in the Louvre he had a still shot of him getting depleted with the champagne spraying in the air on the television broadcast you can see that Nick Taylor's caddy notices this and runs over there and says hey wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute this is a guy he's he's one of us one of us one of us he's one of us he's a golfer he's a part of the entourage but Hadwin just gets jacked up like that old ESPN jacked up segment but what a moment for Nick Taylor on the fourth playoff hole in his backyard and the crowd reaction. You just don't see that kind of reaction. The rain was coming down. It was just an amazing moment at the Canadian Open at the end of that tournament yesterday. All right, with that positive note, let's just do a deep dive here into the disaster that was the Brewer weekend. Like I said off the top, I told you on Friday, there are certain series where you look at them before the series starts and you say almost every series you think, okay, we should win this series or we shouldn't win this series or it's going to be tough. There are certain series you look at in Major League Baseball and you say, we are at home, this is a horrible team we're playing, and this not only has to be a series win, this needs to be a series sweep. I was right about a sweep. A sweep did occur. I just don't know how to wrap my mind around that. The Oakland A's coming into the series on Friday were on pace, and we discussed this. They were on pace for one of the worst records in baseball history, one of the worst winning percentages in baseball history, not in recent history, in the history of a game that's been around for almost 150 years. They were pacing going into Friday's game for a 35-win season. Even with the three losses, the Brewers come out of the weekend 34-32, and that's about where the Brewers are right now with win total. That's where the A's were headed on September 30th. It is now June 12th. That's how horrible this A's team is. And they come in, and they not only get one, they not only get two, they get the full sweep after getting an 8-6 to six win on Sunday. I was talking to some buddies over the weekend after the loss on Friday, or maybe the loss on Saturday. And I did say, and we talked about it on the beginning of the podcast, that they had been playing better. They had the series win against Atlanta. 
Then they got swept. Then they had the series win against Pittsburgh. For a team that only had 14 wins coming into the series, they had been playing better. They had won two of their last three series. And it is baseball, and even the worst teams can conjure it up for one series or two series. You did sort of smell this in the air, didn't you? You could almost feel this coming with the way the Brewers have been playing since May. Very uneven, very inconsistent. The way the A's were playing a little bit better heading into the series. How bad the Brewer offense was. You could just a little tension. You could just feel a little bit of, ooh, I don't want anything bad to happen here. And then something bad happened three days in a row. And it's pathetic. It's pathetic. You know me. I'm as optimistic as anybody. I'm always a silver lining guy, and maybe we can get to a little bit of that. I don't know if I can talk myself into it. I have no silver lining plan. We'll see if I can convince my brain during the course of this conversation that there is some silver lining going on here. I am painfully optimistic when it comes to my teams, especially with the Brewers because the season is so long and baseball is so much about failure more than any other sport. It's just hard to be a pessimistic fan. To me, other people find it very easy. Read the B93 text line. Call into any sports radio talk show or listen to any Brewer recap yesterday. There are a lot of pessimistic fans, and it is for them, very easy. I just think it's so difficult over 162 games, a sport that I love, a team that I love, and a sport that is rooted in failure more than success. It's just tough to stomach being a pessimistic baseball fan, so I feel like I have to be optimistic. There's nothing optimistic about this. We've talked about injuries. We've talked about excuses and explanations and how they're on their second and third string. So many pitching injuries, so many injuries to everyday players. You can't use any of that. If you are talking about a series loss to Atlanta, if you're talking about a series loss to the Rays, which we talked about earlier this year, some of the best teams in baseball, and they're close games, and you're losing close games, okay, then you can point to all of the injuries and all of the names that are littered on the IL and all of the starting pitchers that you've missed over the course of the year. But when we're talking about a team that was 14 and 50 coming into the weekend, you can't use any of that. No excuses, embarrassing, pathetic, all of that. Like the coach in letter Kenny would say, it's bleeping embarrassing. And it's the offense. It is the offense. It's the same story that it's been since 2020 and 2021 where they had spectacular healthy pitching the whole year and won 95 games, but the offense wasn't good really at any point in 2021 and cost them in the playoffs. It was bad in 2020, bad in 2021, bad in 2022. We thought that they had gotten a little something figured out. They brought in some new players, different approach in April. They went 18 and 10 in the month of April. And it really did seem like, didn't it? I'm not I'm not crazy. I'm not a crazy pills here, am I? It seemed like if you watched the games that they had a different approach. They were going to the opposite field more. They were making contact more. They weren't striking out as much. It didn't seem like they were swinging for the downs like they were in the home run derby during the course of every at bat. And that combined with the winning got people, myself included, excited about perhaps a different approach or a different offense or a different type of offense for the Brewers this year. But starting on May 1st, it's just been a constant backslide, and it feels like we are all the way back now to what we saw the previous three years. And we saw more of it over the weekend. Look, the pitching wasn't good either. Adrian Hauser, Adier, Adrian was not good on Friday. You lose 5-2, to two, though. You only scored two runs. You've got to be able to score six or seven runs against a pitching staff as bad as the Oakland A's pitching staff. Yes, he gave up five runs, but that's a game you've got to win. Six to five, seven to five, whatever. It wasn't great pitching, but the offense was putrid. And then even worse on Saturday, in the words of Brewer diehard Kato Kalen on Twitter, it was all puke. Saturday was even worse. Julio Tehran throws a gem at home against a terrible team. 
and you lose two to one in extras. And the only reason you got two extras was a William Contreras bomb, which was a bomb. That was a tank job in the eighth inning. But that's the only reason you even get to extras. You really probably should have lost that game one nothing. They lose two to one in extras. Can't even score the ghost runner in the tenth inning to tie it or try to win it in the bottom half of the tenth. And then yesterday, we'll talk about Freddie more in a little bit, but Freddie was not real good. He had one bad inning. He gave up back-to-back home runs to two guys hitting under 200. He had that 11-pitch battle. Brewers did have a 2-0 lead on Sunday. Then he had that 11-pitch battle with, I forget who it was, and it ends up being a three-run bomb. And then another home run after that. But both of those guys are hitting under 200. He had an uneven start, but again, the offense didn't put you in any kind of position. They had a little lead early, but that was it. And then the offense went dormant until they had two outs and nobody on the ninth inning. They were down 8-3. to three. I suppose, to their credit, they did rise up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and nobody on. They end up putting three runs on the board, had runners at the corners, and the winning run was at the plate in Blake Perkins, but he had a ground out to third base, and that was that. It was too little, too late. But the offense is the crux of the issue again, and... I don't know what you do. I mean, they keep on, they bring in different players. Some are the same. You have some of the same cast of characters they've had the past three or four years. But you bring in some different faces, and Brian Anderson started hot, and now he's hitting 230. And he was visibly frustrated on Sunday. If you watch the game, he had that hit. I forget what inning it was. But it looked like it was going to be a two-run shot to dead center. That former Brewer legend, Estuary Ruiz, who they traded to Oakland as a part of the deal that brought back Piamps and William Contreras from Atlanta. But Ruiz was one of the pieces that came to Milwaukee from the Josh Hader deal last year. And a player some people, some Brewers fans were excited about. He steals a million bases, tremendous speed. He's an igniter, and he's a very quick and good center fielder. He made the catch in center field, and the TV broadcast then actually caught Brian Anderson talking to one of the two hitting coaches for the Brewers. And you could just tell. He just was like, I can't believe I mean, I hit it. And you could see he was trying to explain himself. The sound was good. I hit it on the sweet spot. And it doesn't even bleep and go out. You could just tell the frustration boiling over. But they bring in different guys year in, year out on the fringes. And it just kind of feels like this offense ends up looking the same, even with different guys year in, year out for the past four years. The last year they really had a good offense was 2019. And that was when Yelly was Yelly and hit 44 home runs and was probably on his way to his second MVP. You still had Mike Moustakas at the back end of his prime. You had Yasmani Grandal at the back end of his prime. They had some bats. They spent some money. But that was the last really good offensive year. But when you look at this series, certainly the pitching wasn't perfect. But you have to at least find a way to win Saturday's game. You just you give up one run in the nine innings from your pitcher and your, your starting pitcher and your relief pitchers, and you can't put two runs on the board against guys that are rolling out ERAs of 8, 9, and 10. Every time they cut to whatever A's pitcher was in, except for yesterday's starter who was in the mid-fours ERA, but just about every guy the A's rolled out, they would do what they always do on the TV broadcast, get you a close-up of them warming up with their stats right next to them warming up, and they all 7-5-8-4-2-9-7-8 ERAs. And you just couldn't put it together against these guys who've been roughed up by just about everybody this year in what ends up being the most frustrating series of the year, obviously, and I don't know that there's going to be another one that will compete with that. I mean, getting swept by a historically bad team. The Brewers also got swept by Colorado. They are 0-6 against the two worst ERAs in baseball. The Rockies have the second worst ERA in baseball. The A's have the worst ERA in baseball. And the Brewers have been swept by both teams. At least the other one was in Colorado. 
I don't know if that justifies it necessarily, but at least you can say that was on the road. It was in the thin air, and our pitching staff got roughed up and whatever. At least you were on the road for that one. And at least the Rockies aren't trending to being one of the teams like, uh, what do we have on Monday or Friday's podcast, teams from the 1890s? They're not that bad. But you get swept by both of those teams. And that's a series. This series is one you're going to look back on. Look, the season's not over. And we talked about this on the air on B93. Maybe a little silver lining here. Maybe I talked myself into it. It isn't. It is not over. If you want to say it's over and you are one of the pessimistic fans that said this team is going nowhere, if you want to say it's over now, then I guess that's your prerogative. But it is June 12th. We are three weeks away from the 4th of July. We're eight weeks away from the trade deadline. If you break it down, the math of it, they're probably, what, 35% of the way through the year. That's it. It's still very early in the year. And the division is total crap. And you're only a game out of first place. The season is not over because of this series over the weekend. But if the Brewers do end up missing the playoffs by a couple of games, this is the one you look back on, right? I mean, of all the series, this and the Rocky series, but more specifically this one because of how bad the A's have been and you're at home. If you miss the playoffs by a game or two or a wild card or a division title by a game or two and you look back at the season and say, where could we have gotten one or two more wins, this is the series. This is the one. And now you've got to find a way to move past it and get yourself back in the right frame of mind. We did have a texter on the B93 morning show talking about how bad the offense was. And I forget the specifics of the text. I can see if I can pull it up here. But essentially, the text said these guys have to get it together at the plate. They've got to make a little bit more of an effort of it at the plate. Something like that. Try harder, essentially, was the gist of the text. They need to try harder offensively. I don't even know if that works in baseball, though. I had an interview. I always think of this interview. It was about 15-ish years ago I was covering baseball for the Woodchucks up in Wausau. Right out of my college graduation in point, I got to do a summer of George just covering baseball and traveling around the Midwest and got to live that fake life for three months before reality set and I was sitting in my race car bed. However many months later, I'm two weeks after that season ended. But every game that we called for the Woodchucks, we did a pregame segment with their head coach. His name was Joel Barda, and we called it Bench Talk with Barda. And the Woodchucks were not exceptionally good that year, but they were in the middle of one of these offensive funks. Not a four-year-long funk that the Brewers have been in with a couple of glimpses of maybe them getting it together, like April of this year. But they had been in a really bad funk. In fact, I want to say there was a run there for a week where they were on a 40-plus inning scoreless streak. I remember them getting a sack fly. I think it literally broke up four straight games or five straight games where they didn't score a run. Not just bad offense, didn't score a run. And during the bench talk with Barta segment, and this guy, Joel Barta, was a pretty longtime college baseball coach, and I think he's actually still in the game somewhere. And I asked him essentially the same thing. I mean, I asked him the fan question of how do you get these guys locked back in at the plate at this point with the way things have been going? And he said to me something that stuck with me when I watch baseball, and I've watched it ever since. This has always stuck with me. He said it's not even really about getting more locked in. It's almost about being less locked in. And I thought, huh? And his explanation made total sense to me then, and it still makes sense to me now. Baseball is not one of those sports. He compared it to football when he was answering that question. And he said that baseball is not a sport that relies a ton on physicality. Certainly there are physical aspects of baseball, speed and cutting the bases and tracking down a ball hit to the wall in center field and all that kind of stuff. There are elements of that like there are in any sport. He said, but it's not like football, and football was the sport he used. It's not like football – where when the chips are down and you really need a win or you really need a play, 
you can dig deep into the physical reservoir and maybe run five hundredths of a second faster or muscle up and push that offensive lineman back half a centimeter that gives your running back just the right amount of crease to break out for a 30 or 40 yard run. When the chips are really down and things have been going bad in a sport like that, maybe the players can dig into their physical reservoir and find a little something they didn't have before to push them over the top or to break through a bad spell or a drought. He said baseball is not like that. Baseball is a sport where it's more mental than anything, where you're trying to decide on whether or not you want to swing at a pitch in a hundredth of a second. Or you're trying as a pitcher to locate a fastball half a centimeter more outside or half a centimeter more up in the strike zone to get out of a batter's hot zone. It's just so precise like that. And trying harder actually works against you. He said the most difficult part about being a coach when things like this are happening, offensive droughts like this are happening, is finding a way to calm down the team and actually find some kind of inner peace where they don't get frustrated by how bad it's been and they can just be loose and free at the plate. And that made total sense to me. And like we just talked about with Brian Anderson and the visible frustration that he was showing after a near home run, Rock and B.A. talked about that on the air, about how the number one job of a hitting coach in that specific instance is to find a way to be a psychologist, a therapist, to calm that batter down or that player down when they're just not quite getting enough of it or it's just not falling their way or the base hits aren't dropping in and, you know, you're just a little bit off in either direction. And when things are bad offensively, and they have been bad now for the Brewers for a long time, I often think about that interview. I remember walking away from that interview and thinking, huh, that makes a lot of sense. As a broadcaster or a fan, when the team is losing and playing poorly, it can look like that there is no effort or they need to try harder or whatever. When in reality, in baseball especially, they need to find a way to release a little bit, to calm down, to... Find that place mentally where you are when things are going well, when the hits are coming, when they're dropping in or getting to the wall instead of getting caught at the wall or just getting over the outfield wall instead of being caught for the final out of the inning with a runner on third or whatever. They've got to find a way to get to a spot mentally and pretend like things are going well so they can just be relaxed and loose at the plate instead of tightening up everything when it's not. I think about that a lot. I think that's where the Brewers are right now. Again, and they have been in many spots in the past four years. I don't know how you get out of it, but they need to find a way. Because right now, you're at that sort of breaking point. There's a lot of season left, but it can go bad quick. You lose 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 11, and things can spiral on you. And even if the division is terrible, there's not going to be coming a lot coming back from that. So hopefully this day off, take a deep breath. They can clear their mind a little bit, and then they hit Minnesota for a two-game stretch. They've got a tough stretch of schedule now, and the homestand ends up pretty poor. And what's a bummer is it started so well. you got the extra innings win against Baltimore. Then the offense did crank out 17 hits in that 10-2 win on Wednesday, and you lose every game after that. You blow it on Thursday against Baltimore going for the sweep, and you get swept by the worst team in baseball, end up with a 2-4 and four homestand. And now you've got to hit the road and take on another division-leading team in the Twins for two games. Then Pittsburgh's in town. First matchup of the year, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Arizona right now, who beat the Brewers in Arizona earlier in the season. I think at the beginning of where, yeah, that was in, well, that was in April. They lost two of three in April. And the Diamondbacks ever since have been winning and in the mix in the NL West. 
They're in town the following Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at Cleveland. They're playing better teams now. They weren't able to capitalize on a matchup like Oakland, and now you've got to find a way to win against better competition. Day off today, that two games set a target field, which has not been kind to the Brewers, starts on Tuesday. Corbin Burns on the Hill, a 641st pitch tomorrow night. Hopefully we're cashing a couple of tickets tonight, everybody. The Denver Nuggets go for the series win tonight. How that wasn't last night, I have no idea. How the NBA... I know you can't play on Saturday after you play on Friday. I don't understand that scheduling at all. You have the NBA Finals going on. That is your cornerstone of your league, your championship. And they're playing on a Monday and not a Sunday night. When you get all those weekend eyes, I do not understand that scheduling. I kind of felt that way when the Bucks made their run, too. They had a couple of odd day games like that or middle-of-the-week games when they had weekends off. But it's the Nuggets tonight. We have the two tickets on the line. I have the larger ticket of the Nuggets winning in six or less, and then I put a littler ticket on better odds of the Nuggets winning in five or less. And they have a chance to do it at home tonight. They, In their wins, outside of the one game, in their wins, they have won fairly handily. They're at home. Hopefully that will help. They're 10-point favorites. It would be very Miami Heat, though, wouldn't it? The way that their run has gone so far this year, when everybody has counted them out, that's when they rise up. It would be very Miami and very Jimmy Butler to somehow find a way to win in Denver tonight. Then they'll go home and have the home crowd behind them and win that, and then Denver will win it in seven, and I'll lose both I'll lose both bets, and I will have gone the entire playoff series, the entire run of the 2023 playoffs, betting and losing against Jimmy Butler. I think the Nuggets probably get it done tonight, barring some horrific shooting night. We'll see if they can get their first title in franchise history. And the first title for Denver, unless I'm missing an Avalanche title in there, first one since Elway, right? I think it's got to be since Elway in the second of those two Super Bowls against Atlanta. It'll be a fun time, I'm sure, in Denver if they can get that first-ever franchise championship, and I will be having a blast, too, hopefully watching them win and cashing in two tickets tonight. But that is tonight, Game 5 of the NBA Finals. And then real quick, I do have to throw a shout-out to the Packer coaching staff. We had, on Friday or Saturday, I was doing a little work over at Mom's house, cleaning out the garage, and me and some buddies went out to Three Sheeps in Sheboygan, which if you've never been, I know we have different people listening in different spots. A lot of our listeners to this podcast are B93 listeners from Sheboygan. But if you're not from the Sheboygan, Wisconsin area, there is a fantastic local brewery in Sheboygan, Three Sheeps, and they repurposed an old Coke bottling facility in town in Sheboygan. And it couldn't be better. They brew excellent beer, first of all. But the space is huge. They've got a store. They've got those giant kind of garage door doors you can open up when it's nice outside and a bocce ball set out there and all sorts of games outside. You can do bags or whatever, and they've got patio tables. It's just a beautiful area. They've really done well with it. And I don't even know how long they've been open now, 10-plus years. But some buddies of mine, we got together for a few beers on Saturday evening, and I walked into Three Sheeps, and a guy walked past me in a Wisconsin Badger hat. And I said, man, that guy looks like Joe Barry, like the Packer defensive coordinator Joe Barry. And I sort of thought, eh, what would Joe Barry be doing here? So we got a few beers, and we went out to that patio area. And sure enough, you start to look around. There's some big old dudes out there. And Joe Barry sets his beer down. They're calling him Joe. You know, I'm not like some kind of forensic scientist or any kind of detective, but I think this all added up. 
And then we got the Packer coaching staff website up and said, oh, there's Luke Butkus, and there's this guy, there's this guy. It was the whole coaching staff out there playing some bocce and having a good time at Three Sheeps. A little team building. Nothing wrong with a little team building. There was a moment, <laughs> and I would never have said this out loud, but I will say it on a podcast. From the protection of a locked studio on a podcast, I will say it here. But we all know, I don't think Joe Barry is oblivious to the fact that he's probably not a huge fan favorite and things have not gone the way we wanted them to for the defense in Green Bay after 2021. Now, he should get credit for 2021. That was a fringe top 10 defense. I think they ended the year right at number 10. And then in terms of playoff games where Aaron Rodgers was the starting quarterback in the history of his run in Green Bay, I don't think there's a better defensive performance than the one we saw against the Niners in the divisional round in 2022, right? That's I, I'm trying to think of all the playoff games during the Rodgers era, even in the title run. I can't think of a single playoff game where the defense held up their end of the bargain better than that. He should get credit for that. Then they sort of fell on their face last year, and we just haven't seen that type of defense return. But he knows that. He's not He's not insane. He's not an insane person. He knows that he is is they say there's that Major League Baseball video where the umpire says our ass is in the jackpot. He knows his ass is in the jackpot a little bit with Packer fans. And they're all out there having a good time, and one of the guys is about to go back into three sheeps and grab another round of beers, and he says out loud, does anybody need anything? And I thought to myself, if I had the guts to say this out loud, a top 10 defense, <laughs> does anybody need anything? Oh, top 15 defense would be great, man. Thanks. Will we get the film room a little bit? I mean, I appreciate you having a beer and having a good time on a Saturday night in summer in Wisconsin, but a top 10? Can we get a top 10, Joe? Top 15. Top 18. I'll take top 18. I'll settle for that. Can I get anybody anything? Yeah. I can think of a few things. Well, then we got texts. We talked about it on the B93 morning show today, and I just wanted to see if anybody else was at Three Sheeps while they were there, if they saw them. But then I guess they were making the rounds. We got texts that said they were at Legend Larry's. They kind of hit the Sheboygan spots that you really only get. I know Legend Larry's has a few spots up in the Green Bay area maybe now or Manitowoc. They've got more spots than when I was a kid living in Sheboygan. It was just the downtown location. But I guess they were there as well. Yeah, they were making the rounds all over Sheboygan and having a good time on Saturday. Man, Joe Barry and the boys. Top 15, top 18 defense, Joe. That's what we need. And you see Rodgers at the Tonys. This guy, <laughs> he's just, he's doing all the New York stuff. He's at all the Knicks playoffs games when they were in it and the Rangers playoffs games. And now he is making his appearance at the Tonys. I so wanted this to happen. They put him on TV. I wanted the Kramer Scarsdale surprise. Kramer? Thank you and bless you all. This truly has been a Scarsdale surprise. I saw the sunrise Pardon at all night. I saw the sunrise at Liza's. Manelli? No. <laughs> favorite Kramer lines right there. Aaron Rodgers hanging out the Tonys. And then he was doing some press conference in New York this morning on Monday morning. And somebody asked him, you know, what's it been like for you so far in New York? And he just had the pettiest answer. He is the king of petty. You got to give him credit. You just have to almost tip your cap where he talked about, boy, it's so much fun to want to come to work and to work with these guys and to have people pick in your brain and to be excited to get back to work, basically implying his last two or three years he hasn't had that in Green Bay. He is the king of petty. you got to give him that. Aaron Rodgers, both at the press conference this morning and at the Tonys on Sunday night. That'll do it for us here on your Monday. We'll get back after it on Friday. 
Hoping we're talking about a couple of Brewers wins. I don't know how optimistic I am right now with the way the team is going. A split would be great in Minnesota. Just get that win with Corbin on the hill maybe on Tuesday and set yourself up for maybe a two-game sweep on Wednesday. We'll also then be setting the table for what ends up being kind of a big matchup. You know, Pirates have been hanging around. I stand by. I'm not worried about them yet. I'm more worried about the Brewers than I am about the Pirates. But that will be the first matchup between the two teams that have basically been jockeying back and forth atop the NL Central. We'll be setting that up on Friday. Hopefully we'll be playing a little Shane O'Mac. Here comes the money with a Nuggets win tonight. That would cash us both tickets. We'll be talking about that on Friday as well. Have a good work week. We'll chat with you then.